Morning, Faith Westwood, and if you're new with us today, it's great to have you on board. I'd like to start with the children's time for all ages. Uh, this is our second Sunday where we can't meet in person, and it sounds like it's going to be this way for uh, several more Sundays. And if that makes you sad, uh, I can understand that. I've been sad about it, too. Last Sunday, I shared a little poem for you kids, and I decided to try another one for today. It's called... I miss my church, and it's written from a kid's point of view. I miss my church, the people too. I miss my family's favorite pew. I miss my name tag with my name. It always made me glad we came. I miss my donut every Sunday, my favorite day. The worst is Monday. I miss the time when kids come up. Started that when I was a pup. I miss Miss Leah, miss her smile. I miss the way she'd talk a while. I miss her stories, songs we'd sing. I, I miss the offering I'd bring. I miss my friends, our crafts, our walks, our times to pray, our small group talks. I, I miss it all. I'm, I'm out of whack. I wish that I could bring it back. But VBS taught me to say the words that help me out today. When life is sad, God is good. I still believe. I knew I would. And when life's scary, God's still good. Can you believe? I knew you could. Now may the Lord bless you and always smile upon you. Well, we're in week two of worshiping as a scattered community. Uh, I want to thank David Gerard for playing those hymns. I was singing along. Uh, I have no reason to believe God caused the coronavirus, but I do believe that God is at work in this crisis. And one thing is it may be an opportunity for some of us to reset our frantic lives. One night this past week, Trish and I played a game of Scrabble and listened to music. And you might say, oh, sounds boring. And I say, boring is underrated. I need some boring in my life. But we also know that humans were not meant to be separated. In Genesis 2, God says we were not made to live alone. We need each other. So I say stay connected, call each other, chat on FaceTime, get on Skype, keep that text string going, support one another, encourage one another, because we were never meant to live alone. As I said a few weeks ago, this is a perfect time to go to JesusFilm.org. Uh, the Jesus film may be the most watched movie of all time. And if you've never watched it or haven't in a long time, uh, here's your chance. You can find it on YouTube. But if you go to JesusFilm.org, you can watch that one and other Bible movies as well. And if you go to VidAngel.com, they are currently allowing free viewing through March 30th, including their new series called The Chosen. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this series. The, the Chosen creates a fictional backstory for some of the people in the Gospels. And in my book, this is the best portrait of Jesus on film. Uh, this morning, we look at Psalm 32, which is one of the seven uh, so-called penitential psalms of the Bible, which means it's about repenting. And if I were to give this psalm a title, it would be The Blessings of Being Forgiven. St. Augustine, uh, 1,500 years ago, liked this psalm so much, he had it written above his bed 
So it would be the first thing he saw every morning. So I invite you to just sit back and listen for the next 90 seconds as I read this psalm. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Now, let's walk through this psalm verse by verse. Uh, each of the first two verses start with the word blessed or blessed, you could say. It also can be translated happy. It's the kind of happiness we get from being blessed by God. Verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. In these two verses, the Hebrew language gives us a rich vocabulary for talking about sin. The first word, transgression, is a strong word uh, meaning willful rebellion against God. Uh, the first word translated sin means missing the mark or falling short. And the next word translated sin, sometimes uh, or sometimes iniquity, comes from another Hebrew word emphasizing the, the lasting hurtful impact of a disobeying God. You get the idea that it's not leaving anything out at all, any sins, all sins, all reasons, all motivations, all consequences. And then it gives us an equally rich language to talk about forgiveness. The word translated forgive uh, means that the sin is, is lifted, so you're not carrying it anymore. And then it says that your sins are covered, so forgiveness is all over that sin. You don't, you don't see the sin, just the forgiveness. And then it says that your sin is not counted against you. It means that you're granted a, a full pardon. When God forgives you, he doesn't hold a grudge. Your offenses are erased from the record. Uh, what we don't learn until the New Testament is what all of this forgiveness cost God. When Jesus died on the cross, it was God's way of saying, because I love you, I will carry your sin. I will take your judgment upon myself. I've come to realize that the only way to experience the real joy of being forgiven is to get honest about the depths of my sin. What led John Newton to, to write a song about how amazing grace is? 
It was knowing the depravity from which God had saved him. That's how he knew the joy of being forgiven. In verses 3 and 4, the psalmist begins a personal testimony. When I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's saying, when I kept silent about my sin, I wasn't being honest with God or honest with myself. I refused to face up to my failings. I refused to come clean with my confession. I was stubborn. I wanted to justify my actions. But there was one thing inside the psalmist that would not let go. It's what the Bible calls the fear of God. What's the fear of God? Well, it doesn't mean being afraid of God. It doesn't mean being terrified of God. It means revering God. It means being in awe of God so that you, you want to trust God and obey God. Another psalm says that those who do not fear God flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their own sin. I thought, that's so insightful. When we fear God, that means then we're honest with ourselves so that we can detect our sin and even despise our sin. So the psalmist had sinned, but still possessed inside this healthy fear of God. And we know from the symptoms that God was dealing with this individual. The psalmist felt miserable, groaning, lethargic, drained. Has it ever happened to you where you've done something to hurt someone you love, but you're still stubborn about it? You're not ready to own up to it. You, you still want to justify your actions. In the meantime, you're feeling miserable. Let me tell you, if you feel guilty for your sins, that's a good thing. Feeling guilty means God still has a foothold in your heart. But God doesn't want you to stay stuck in guilt either. The solution comes in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So spill it out and spell it out before the Lord. Get specific. Confess what you've done. Confess what you didn't do. Holding back and holding it in will only make you more miserable. Sometimes I'm, I'm envious of our Catholic sisters and brothers. You know, on TV and movies, I, I see uh, people portrayed as Catholics. They go to confession, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And it's not that I believe you can only confess to someone who's ordained. But I, the thing I like is that how confession is such a deliberate act. The sin is named, and then it's left there. I, I want to confess more like that. I want to name my sin, receive forgiveness, and let it go. Verses 1 through 5 make up the first part of this psalm. In verse 6, the psalmist then prays for us. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. It's saying, call on the Lord. And confess your sins while you can, because if you wait too long, you might get used to those sins, and then they won't bother you anymore. Putting off confession will only harden your heart, and that's a dangerous place to be. But if you confess and seek uh, forgiveness, 
uh, rest assured that the rising waters of guilt and shame will not sweep you away. The psalmist's prayer continues in verse 7. Uh, when the psalmist says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Right now, we're all hiding out in our homes, aren't we? That's uh, how we protect ourselves and each other. The psalmist says, God, you're like that. You're my home. You're my protection from the trap of sin. And, and I love the last part of verse 7 where it says, you surround me with songs of deliverance. It reminds me of when the Israelites sang to the Lord after uh, he sent a strong wind to blow all night and, and the waters were pulled back and the Israelites crossed into the other side and then Pharaoh's chariots attempted to cross, dun, 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 but the waters returned upon them. And then the Israelites sang their song of deliverance in Exodus 15. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And you have a song of deliverance. You are forgiven. You are set free. Romans 8 says that when we belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. At verse 8, we come to another shift in the psalm. It's not a prayer to God anymore. It's spoken to us. But who's the one speaking? My first impression was that God is speaking, but when you read verses 8 through 11 as a unit, it makes more sense that the psalmist is speaking, so I'm going with that, um, though the thrust remains the same either way. The forgiven psalmist is now the teacher. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. You see, not only does God want to forgive you, God wants to redirect your life. He wants to save you from the guilt of past sin and save you from repeating those sins in the future. And what will be the, your motivation to live differently? Well, the motivation not to have is found in verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. I like Tim Keller's take on this. He says, if you're only being, obeying God because of the threat of neg negative consequences, that's like a horse or a mule being controlled by a bit in its mouth or a bridle around its neck. Keller says, instead, we should obey because we want to, out of love for him. But you know, I found that sometimes it takes both motivations. We obey God to avoid negative consequences and because he loves us and we love him. I think that's why we're told in verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Do you believe that many are the woes of the wicked? A lot of other Psalms complain to God that Often the wicked, uh, instead of having woes, are getting wealthy. Look at the scammers profiting off the COVID crisis. But we believe that in the end, the way of wickedness leads to ruin. And it's not that the faithful never sin, but when they do sin, they know where to go. They know what to do. 
On Tuesday, I thought about uh, the prayer of St. Patrick, and I focused on just part of it. Christ behind me, Christ beside me, Christ before me. I was out walking, and I was thinking of that. Christ behind me, Christ beside me, Christ before me. What does that mean? Jesus is Lord of my past. He's behind me. Beside me, he's the Lord of my present. Before me, he's the Lord of my future. And we see that past, present, and future in this psalm. Jesus is Lord of my past where I have sinned, even when I remain stubbornly silent and would not confess. Jesus is Lord of my present where I now live in grace, singing and rejoicing for the forgiveness that I've received. Jesus is Lord of my future, and I know that he will faithfully lead me, he will faithfully guide me and teach me throughout my life. And that's why Psalm, uh, this psalm ends with rejoicing. Verse 11, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you who are upright in heart. Some of you today, you know what to do when, when sin gives you a punch in the gut. You know how to confess and repent. You know how to receive forgiveness and move forward, and you do that. And some of you know you have unfinished business with God today. Instead of confessing, you've been silent. You've been hiding from God, hiding from yourself. And now God's getting your attention. And God's saying, let's deal with this. I, I don't want you to hang on to this forever. If you'll come clean and confess, I will make you truly clean. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, what a great promise it is that when we come and we confess to you, we let go of our sins, that you are so ready to forgive, so thoroughly, completely, lovingly, Lord, that you never hold a grudge against us. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll give our hearts rejoicing because you have set us free and that we can continue to move on and move forward as your deep, daring, daily disciples. We pray in the name of Jesus our Lord and all God's people said, Amen.